0: If you're trying to make any kind of meaningful, effective change in your life, well, you have come to the right place because that is what my expert guests and I are here to help you do. Welcome to We're Talking Shift. This is the podcast where all we do is talk shift because when we're stuck and need to rise to a challenge, make a health shift, a relationship or an emotional shift, well, the first thing we have to shift, my friends, is our thinking. That is the antidote to feeling stuck. I'm Lori Bischoff, and I'm so glad you're here. Now, let's get busy. Good day, ladies and gents. Welcome to another episode of We're Talking Shift. I'm Lori Bischoff. Today, my guest is Larry Foll. Wrestling fans really know him better as Lex Luger, the total package. He was a professional wrestler for 15 years at the top of his game. But from the outside, Lex's life looked pretty phenomenal in every way, right? He seemed to have it all. He was a a superstar traveling the world. He had the physique of a comic book superhero, wife, kids, fame, fortune, kind of the world in his hands is so it seemed. But for many, fame and fortune can be a double-edged sword and Lex was no exception. He went from being at the top of his game I guess you could say to rock bottom, I'll, I'll let him talk more about that, but uh, probably in more ways than one. Uh, a lot of people never recover from the kind of lifestyle that Lex was living and the tragedies that resulted. So today we're going to talk about the double life that he lived as a wrestling superstar, the life altering events that happened, and the shift that ultimately saved him. And uh, I think by the end of this episode that you'll be taking away a lot of insights that will also help you make some positive life altering shifts. So let's get after it. Welcome to the show, Lex.
1: Thanks Lori. Glad to be here.
0: I'm glad to have you here. It's been a while.
1: It has been.
0: Yeah. So for, for those of, uh, in my audience that aren't familiar um we go we go way back uh so our our husbands worked together for many years in the wrestling business and uh i used to work out uh regularly at at lexus gym in atlanta when we lived there uh he and sting had a had a gym called the main event and spent Mm -hmm. a lot of hours a lot of hours in that gym (laughs) uh, those are some actually some really good memories I I loved going there and and training and uh seeing a lot of good faces and it was a fun time it was a really fun time um you have come um you've done a 180 in your life since I knew you back back in Mm -hmm. those days and uh you know I was listening to an interview that you did. I don't recall the gentleman's name, but um, when I was doing a little bit of homework here just to prepare for our interview today, for our conversation, and and I heard the gentleman, um, he he said uh, that you nearly shared the same fate as narcissus the figure from greek mythology who was so impossibly handsome that he fell in love with his his own image reflected in a pool of water and even the lovely nymph echo could not manage to tempt him from his self-absorption so that is who he compared mm. you to and i was like hmm, do you feel like that's
1: accurate it was I'm not too far off uh, no doubt lori I was definitely yeah. uh, had some narcissistic tendencies back yeah. then, for sure. Very self—I uh, would call it very focused on myself, mm-hmm. me, myself, and I, for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, self-absorbed, right? That's that's fair, fair enough. Uh, Absolutely. And I, th- I think we all go through phases of that in our lives, you know, and that can that can either grow into something that can be obviously very damaging, destructive, or it can evolve into something more like self-love and self-appreciation but before you got there it seems like yeah you you had to go down a really bumpy path to <laughs> right to, to get there no doubt so i was thinking i mean there's there's so much here um i thought it would be kind of interesting to start with you just giving like a super brief synopsis of of your story and then I wanna circle back and kind of dive into the details and a little bit of the timeline. So like for ex- instance, let's just say that you were gonna give a, a movie producer a 60 second elevator pitch for your story about your life, about you know the, the really meaningful parts here. What would, how would you give him that synopsis? You have 60 seconds on an elevator.
1: Right, um, well, um, my life, for the first 47 years was a, definitely a real roller coaster ride. I always thought it was a rise to the top. I was raised a very strong work ethic, which was good. And I, I became absolutely fanatical and driven to be the very best that I could be mentally and physically. Read every self-help book, uh, spent hours in the gym every day honing my, my physical aspects of my development and it and and on. An, It led to a lot of success, but I really didn't feel, I always felt like something was missing. I Mm -hmm. I felt like I had no real foundation. I always felt like there had to be something more in my life. And um, it wasn't until my life completely came apart at the seams where I didn't see any way out. A lot of people, like you said, call it rock bottom or the end of your rope, where I found what was missing. And uh, which for me, was was my spiritual life, my faith in God, mm-hmm. and I I was supernaturally rescued. Is the only way I can put it in, in this elevator version, and mm-hmm. my life has never been the same since. I was uh, forgiven, I was redeemed, I was uh, loved on by a lot of people who never gave up on me, and mentored me, and poured into my life, and, and made the connection with not the, my physical aspects of my life, my, my emotional, mind, will, and emotions, and my spiritual side, and, and brought it all together to apply to my everyday life. And uh, that's kind of the, where I'm at now. And I'm in a just thankfully in a, in a wonderful place in spite of having a spinal cord injury and losing 100 pounds of body weight muscle-wise. I can't mm-hmm. pump the heart at the gym anymore, but um, I have found that my power his power works best in my weakness, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of, you know, there's a song called Jesus Take the Wheel. Um, I was able to, which was very difficult for me because I was a real control freak. Uh, I feel like I I don't have to be in charge anymore. I can trust him with driving the car. So, and I'm along for the ride. And uh, so it's it's been a wonderful journey since April 23rd of 06 when that happened
0: yeah so you know you when you just mentioned about what you lost as far as your physical abilities um and you lost weight you lost your ability to you know push a lot of iron in the gym all of the stuff that you know you were so good at like so good at and so driven and so committed to you also lost important people in your life no doubt really important people so Okay, before we get into that, like looking back now, um, because it's been a while, can you, do you recognize now what should have been warning signs along the way that you were getting really kind of lost and off balance and things were maybe going in a direction that was not a good direction? Do you recognize now that there were signs that you just didn't recognize at the time?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. I ignored every red light every every caution sign without a doubt. I was, I was a full speed guy, warp speed, uh, like I said earlier, very driven, very mm-hmm. ambitious. I always rationalized or justified what really I, I was I was addicted to success and physical, uh, being as physical, as physically perfect as I could be the gym, but I find, but once again. There, I was never. People said, "God, you must have felt incredible." I always felt I had to look better. So there was. I, yeah. when I read your when I read your book, Lori. Um, I I was fascinated because when we try to fill our life with with money or fame or physical perfection, or we can get addicted to almost anything. Mine included. Ended up when all those other things—fame and fortune and glamour and money and uh, a beautiful family, a wife and you kids. out when I felt there's got to be more, I turned to some really negative um mm-hmm. ways of exploring that with, with drugs and alcohol, but I would never admit that I could be addicted to anything. I was mm-hmm. too disciplined. People, a lot of people yeah. have people told me, well wow, Lex, I thought you'd be the last person to ever get addicted to drugs and alcohol. Well I never thought I was until yeah. I was yeah, um, but
0: when you think about it, your nature, just from, you know, from what I do know about you and just being around in the business that it, that you were in, obviously related to that, um, you know, your nature and in your in the way you're describing it too is you seem to be almost like 100% obsessed with whatever it is you're into at the time, the whatever is important to you or you're into or that lights you up good or bad you're into it a hundred percent right and oh. so those are you know when you have that kind of nature that kind of personality if it's directed at something good in positive awesome but if that's those same you know um characteristics are directed to something that's things that are self-destructive or, or negative anyway it, then you're gonna go all the way in that direction too just like you would the other way right
1: I could have said it better myself, Laurie, Without mm-hmm. a doubt, and, and I, I, I always um, made excuses with the drugs. Oh, I, my body's getting kind of beat up, so I take some painkillers, and and um, I can stop anytime I want. I used to actually stop when things went really bad towards the end of the late '90s, and early 2000s. Um, I used to stop, and I'd put leave alcohol out and bottles of pills that I would was Taking, actually abusing at the time, and I'd go like a week or a month without touching them, just mm-hmm. to see, just to prove to myself. And anybody said they thought I was had an issue, I wanted to let them know and myself that oh, I have control of this. So I used to play little games like that, which yeah. really, really wasn't shifting right. away from it. I was just, I, I was gonna show I could do it for a little while, then I'd go back because I, mm-hmm. I had a, a attitude that hey, it's my body, it's my life. Yeah. As we both know, it's not. What we just do affects other people close to us in our life, our families, our friends, everybody around us, our, our colleagues at work. It affects everybody. There's always collateral damage when you're not making good choices. But I, I was so, once again, focused on me, myself, and I. I said, well, it's my body. I can do what I want with it. And I now realize that, no, my, our bodies our, and our minds, everything is a gift from God. And mm-hmm. it's not mine. And and I'm supposed to be a good caretaker of it, and obviously, steward. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, doing those kind of things was actually not what I was designed to do, and and it obviously led down some really bad bad paths, for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, one of those paths was. As you've already said, you know, you were doing, you were way overdoing drugs and, and pills and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, I'm guessing steroids at the time as well. Yeah. Um, and and very, very amazing. Common,
1: I mean, not justifying at yeah. all. Very common. And my background with football and pro wrestling at that yeah. time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because that's right. You were, you were uh, doing football before you even... Got into, for what, like 15 years or a long time, right? Yeah, high school,
1: college, and pro, combine, 15, then I wrestled 15. So about 30 years of my prime athletic career, for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's always been, you've always been an athlete. That's always been something that obviously you've, um, you know, honed your skill and your crafts, but you had, you know, an an innate gift there as well. And then you just took it all the way. Uh, and it's isn't it crazy now when you think about it, and you probably you could look back uh, at at pictures of yourself from when you were in your prime and go, how could I have thought that I needed to somehow make this better that this wasn't good enough? It, it's crazy, oh, right? Yeah. How how distorted uh, your vision of yourself and your opinion of yourself um, is, right? When you're in that yeah, mode.
1: Yeah, Lori, exactly, very well put. I I actually, um, when I had my spinal cord injury um, back in the end of 07, early 08, um, Mm -hmm. I literally had to be bathed, fed, clothed. They used to pick me up out of bed in the morning for therapy, one of those Hoyer lifts like Peter Pan into my uh, power wheelchair. And for the first year of therapy, um, I lost literally about a hundred pounds of muscle and in the first few months, it's like being in a body cast. It wasn't just that you couldn't work out anymore. You're like, when you're paralyzed from neck down in a quadriplegic, it's like you're literally in a body cast. And I don't know if anybody's ever had their, their arm in a cast, take it off, and your arm's all withered. Atrophied, yeah. Completely atrophied. Well, you know all the words. Man, <laughs> you're, my mom's a wordsmith, Laurie. I didn't know you were such a great wordsmith. <laughs> no. Outstanding. You remind me of my mom. Uh, and, Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a word. You got it right there. I love it. Right there. Oh my gosh! you brought well, me my mom that way. My mom always times me because I'm starting to think of the word. My mom always gives me the perfect word. But,
0: well, um, I'm, I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to live up to mom's um, gift there.
1: Yeah, and I can tell so you got that gift of being a wordsmith, but uh, I, I, I. It's. It was almost humorous that I spent all that time never wanting to miss a workout. The things I went to, not miss a workout. I could mm-hmm. fly to Europe and have no sleep, and I'd land and, and drink coffee and go to the gym and, and everybody else went to bed. Went to bed. I, I was so driven and I couldn't miss a meal. Every three hours, the world had to stop for Lex Luger so I could have my chicken breast and, and, and protein and my meal every yeah. three hours. And or a shake, or a protein shake or something. And a matter of after 30 years of that, um, and a matter of months, all that muscle was gone. The whole Isn't muscle that amazing. it was it's almost it's like wow, shows how fleeting when you put all your uh chips into mm-hmm. something that that can be transitional, whether it's a, another relationship with somebody else, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, your your job, your finances, your. Your, even your physical uh, uh, nature of being a, a bodybuilder slash pro wrestler slash football, but when, when you're putting something that at any time for whatever reason could change, you really don't have, once again, a firm foundation uh, that your life yeah. is based on.
0: Right, right. you've You've built everything on something outside of yourself because even your body is outside of yourself. Right, right? you're outside Mm -hmm. of who you are. Your your the very being of you. That's your inner world, and that's untouchable. It's 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 invulnerable. But the body on out that's your outer world and when you build everything on that you're right i i agree it's um it's not a firm foundation and when all of those outer things get taken away from you like they did with you for the most part from Absolutely. your body on out you lost those physical abilities along with people that you loved and you know career opportunities whatever all gone and then you had nothing to do but lay there and All you had were your thoughts. All you had was yourself. That was a radical shift for you, obviously. No doubt about it. Yeah. So, God, there's so much good stuff here. I would, I would. (laughs) Well, and I say that, you know, not not because I'm like the entertainment value of a good story, but I say that because there are so many people that go through either something similar to what you did or their own version of what you did and and they don't they're not able to pull out of it they don't they don't recover and they're not resilient and so when i say there's so much good stuff here because i know what's coming up as we continue to talk is going to be an answer for a lot of people that are searching so that's what i mean um that's what i'm talking about what before the accident uh, where you couldn't move, before that, though, you know, let's talk a little bit about when you were starting to really, things were spiraling out of control. And probably, I guess, that culminated with the incident with Liz. Is that right? Do I have that c- close?
1: Um, uh, yeah. Timeline-wise, very close. Cool. I mean, things, got, things went, went on and got worse. Uh, for okay. a couple of years after that. And just when you t- people thought, boy, if that's not his wake-up call. So everybody, okay. believe it or not, predicted, I uh, believe at the, the time when people were make- placing bets on whether me or Scott Hall at the time were gonna be the next ones that were gonna be found literally dead in a hotel room somewhere. Sure, I was sure. living in a hotel at the time. Wow, and you were- you Had were... all my stuff in storage. <sighs> and uh, I, and uh, I, once I was speaking, in front of us, some people and I told him how I lost my, my wife and my kids and my marriage and my my house and all my, all I lost him, he goes, he goes, and the guy came up to me, hey, I enjoyed hearing your story, but he, the guy sent me straight for he goes, he looked at me in the eye, he goes, Lex, you didn't lose him, he goes, you gave him up. Ooh. Out. Bam. And that Lord, was that true, right? I it is it true. For, I gave it up for drugs and alcohol and, all those different things that I was trying to pacify myself to find what I I couldn't figure out was missing in my search for completeness in all the wrong ways and all the wrong directions, all the wrong paths. So yeah, I I gave them up and and the profound effect I had on others, including Elizabeth, uh, who was a very sweet spirited girl and she wanted to hang out with me and so she felt like I mean I should do what he does and take pills and drink alcohol. She was one hundred and ten pounds. I was two hundred seventy pounds. And the uh, unfortunately, tragically, she overdosed, and I didn't. And um,
0: yeah. So let's 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 talk about that for a second. So for 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 my audience and people that aren't and and weren't wrestling fans. Uh, Liz was not only a friend of mine, but she was also in the wrestling business as an an on-air character for many years, Miss Elizabeth. And um, ultimately, her and and Lex um, had a relationship. And this would have been, I guess, your secret life, right? Because you were married with a family.
1: So I was. When we met, Liz was married to a guy down in Miami, and I was married to to my wife, Peggy, at the time. And the one thing I said, well... I used to see the guys that had uh, a work-related relationship. I go, "Wow, why would you do that?" Mm -hmm. Uh, Boy, I would never do that. Boom, it happened. It happened gradually over a period of years in the late '90s until we were in a full-blown extramarital affair. Both of us. She left. Her husband moved to Atlanta, and our our, and we. I literally had a East Side West Side story going on. I would stay with my family over in Sugarloaf Country Club in Atlanta. At night, and sleep there, and I go over to the gym, work out, and hang out with Liz during the day, because my gym was on the west side of Atlanta. Right. Complete, right. Almost, a complete double life. Oh.
0: And how, how long did that go on?
1: Oh, wow, a few years. Yeah. So... Yeah.
0: So we uh, and we, we obviously my husband and I and my family we lived in Atlanta at the time as well and you know we would all be in the gym often training together and are seeing you guys and um, Liz was a friend and you know we we did stuff together um, and then we moved in 2000 to um, Arizona and I don't remember the year but not long after that I got a call that Liz had died. Mm-hmm. Um, what year was that, Lex? Oh four. It was oh four?
1: So it was a I few believe. years. Yeah.
0: And not going to lie, I was really pissed at you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: you and Eric both, no doubt. Uh,
0: you know, um, and uh, just for a while, you know, because I, I was... I mean, Laura, I, just so I, you
1: know, I still have massive, at times, hatred from Elizabeth fans on social media and stuff, and I totally, I get it. I understand. Yeah. I, I understand their feelings. And so, yeah, I, I, yeah. I definitely uh, yeah, understand
0: yeah. And- and, you know and I, I think i know um because i'm a i'm a pretty uh deeply spiritual person myself i do my work and i have been for uh um almost 40 years so i think that when you know when there's a loss somebody that we care about our first instinct or our first response is usually to look for who or what is to blame because we're mad and we're angry and we're upset and we're sad. And that loss, you know, is just like somebody's at fault here. And, you know, there's, there's that energy that wants to find a place to land. So, you know, uh, so of course was, was pretty pissed, but, you know, once the emotions calm down and you stop, um, thinking only with emotions and you start to think with your, with your head too, um, clearly it came around to the realization that Liz was an adult and she made adult decisions. And I think that, you know, the the anger is that when you, even though she was an adult and people in that kind of situation are adults, but you get mad when you know that they are being influenced and you're like, but the other person, yeah, they didn't make them do anything. But when you know you have influence, that's where you're like, Really, would you know? You wish that person would have used that influence in a way that wasn't so harmful. All of that being said, you know, I d- I don't have any of those feelings anymore because everything just, you know, things well, Laura, happen you know, as they happen.
1: People, a lot of people um who are like big Lex Luger fans like want to let me off the hook completely. I'm like, well, no, no. They go, well, you didn't force her to take drugs. She made her own decision, and and I go, yeah, but you know. Was I was I a contributing fat, a fact to that tragedy? I go absolutely. I had a profound influence on it on her at the time, and mm-hmm. I go and I go. So, um, did I play a role? And and what happened and, and her death? I go absolutely. So don't let me off so easy. Once again, you, we talked earlier when you're making those kinds of decisions. Like it doesn't affect just you. The lifestyle of living greatly affected. My family and Elizabeth and all those around me, and and, yeah. and tragic in her case, uh, the ultimate uh, tragedy. Yeah, yeah, no yeah.
0: And I appreciate you. I appreciate you saying that. Don't let you off the hook. But honestly, you know, I I feel like when when anyone is going through whatever their stuff is, they're going through, and and something that we consider a tragedy um, ensues. And in this case, you know, somebody ends up dying. I think that that is between, it's not my or anyone else's business to forgive or not forgive that that's for you. That's your business with your maker. That's, that's you. So whether anybody else forgives or not, it's, it's I don't think it's their business. I think that that's arrogant. And I think that that is only something that is between the person that has to deal with whatever part they played in whatever the situation is. That's for you. That's and everyone involved, you know, like the families or or whoever, fans, friends, how they feel about it is between them and, you know, them and their their god or them in their own mind whatever but i think that um i just feel like it's it's your business and you're the one that has to has had to reconcile that and do a lot of i'm sure your own soul searching to be able to come to a place where you could you know be be who you've become now and and be in a mental place to be able to help other people
1: yeah the damage um uh and regrets we can have from what happened in my life early in my life i had to work through a lot of unforgiveness to myself yeah i knew god would forgive me which i'm sure we'll talk about but uh i had a lot of unforgiveness uh with myself sure and the effects i profound effect i had on people including elizabeth Mm -hmm. and um i really um my uh my one mentor said well you've been forgiven God's forgiven you, goes now. You got to forgive yourself, else you're going to be useless. And then your life moving forward because mm-hmm. you're going to be hanging on, hanging on to that, uh, right. regret And unforgiveness and uh, uh, unforgiveness when we hold on to it ourselves turns into bitterness mm-hmm. and it just it really yeah. dramatically uh, affects our life and, the, our, and, and where we can go from there. It sure. does.
0: It does. I think when and I've I've had to I've had that conversation a lot with with clients um, going through their own things that they've had to uh, come to terms with and feel like they've forgiven maybe other people for things. But there's still something in in ourselves. We we can be really, really hard on ourselves, which is not necessarily a bad thing. As long as you can, you know, come to terms with it, own it, learn from it. And it makes you, you know, able to become a better version of yourself, a better human being. There's the gift. But if you don't forgive yourself, you can't get to that point. And then, then the opportunity is lost. And that lack of forgiveness, I think, really manifests itself in a lot of ways, either in the way that you behave toward other people, because really, it's about you but you're projecting out there or it manifests itself in illness and disease, you know, bitterness, negativity, all kinds of all manner of ways. So I think that that's really a core point that, you know, you've demonstrated that, you went through, you know, and and were part of some very, very serious things that altered not only your life, but the lives of other people. And you've had to do a lot of work to come through that. And a lot of that is forgiving yourself, which is not an easy thing. Because, you know, for lesser things, we can hold ourselves accountable forever. And that's a pretty big thing. So I just, you know, I commend you for the work that you've done, because I know that that has not been easy by any stretch.
1: I appreciate that, Lori. Thank you. I, I can't take all the credit, obviously. Um, obviously, the good Lord's helped me with all of that. But I, I find that um, if we don't, uh, when people hold on unforgiveness, whether inside themselves or towards others, it ends up affecting them more than the other person. Um, right. A lot of people, don't like I said, don't want to let you off the hook. And they, they have this unforgiveness towards you. Usually that ends up affecting them much more than the the other person when you hold on to that. So yeah. um, it, it's, it's definitely a, a big hurdle in a lot of people's life. Like some people think, well, if I forgive so-and-so who let's say, you know, there's a husband and wife and the, and the one cheated on, on, on one of the other. And I, well, I love him or her and I want to forgive him or her, but I can't. And they, and they feel like they're letting them off the hook. Right. You may get divorced and move on, but they never let go of that unforgiveness and then it turns into a bitterness and affects their whole life and their demeanor and new people that they might meet. And yes, um, they it's really uh, remarkable. Uh, it's not that you're letting off the hook, you need to let go of the unforgiveness for yourself.
0: Yeah, yes. You're, Otherwise, they, you're a prisoner. They don't
1: care if, some people, they don't care if you forgave them or not. They go on. No. You might have to no. have a reprobate mentality. And you go, well, he or she doesn't care if I if I forgive him. but. But you still can approach them sometimes if, if that's available. Mm-hmm. And, and, and at least release that for yourself, that, that you forgive them, you might not care, but I forgive you for what, what you did. And it allows you to move forward your life when you don't hold on to that unforgiveness, whether they care or not. It's not that you're letting them off the hook. Yeah. You're doing it really for, your, for, right. for yourself and other people in your life now and the future. There's a saying that the, the past is history. Uh, tomorrow's a mystery today is the gift right
0: i'm sure yes. you've heard
1: that expression so but yeah it, it's it's very applicable i a lot of people tell me the windshield is a lot bigger than the rear view mirror right for a reason right right
0: yeah so i'm trying to
1: be a windshield I, guy in life now yeah
0: yeah be, you're so right i agree with that um and the it doesn't
1: mean those bad things didn't happen right you wish you or that you can do it. make different decisions right. absolutely but, right, uh, but you to became move with the life. Right. Go ahead. yeah, right yeah.
0: It. I think that when you're you're so right about that because when you don't forgive, that means there's a part of you that is still hanging on to it. That mm. means there's a part of you that has still got an emotional investment in something that happened in the past, and that keeps you a bit of a prisoner back there.
1: Oh, you means, are blocked block moving forward with your life. Right, like,
0: right. You're exactly. you're you're breathing life into something that's gone and you're mm-hmm. keeping it alive. If, if only in your own mind and you're right, it's, then it, it becomes a block for moving forward positively, effectively.
1: Right. I, I know you work with people as a life coach, Laurie, I'm, I'm dealing with these kinds of things. And, uh, uh he came to call off a guy wrestling with us. We have a, uh, um, we call them man camps and we work with men who may have come there with we work with wellness with the physical aspects but also their emotional and spiritual uh, issues and man when you see somebody uh, that uh, comes clean with what's really the root of of what's going on in their life and it's usually unforgiving or something whether it was a parent when they were a kid or mm-hmm. a girlfriend boyfriend husband wife man when they when they when they finally realize that's what's really been the problem and they've been holding on to that like we said that unforgiveness in their life, when yeah. they let go of that, whoo, you could actually almost see it come off of them. It's like yeah. you're carrying that, that big backpack around or a big log on their back, right. you see right. that come off of them and the change and the, the demeanor and the way they look, when you look them in the eyes, it's absolutely so awesome. It's so incredible to see and That's witness. beautiful. That's an yeah. amazing
0: thing. I love that you're doing that. And I think that that's very cool. Um, and when, before we sign off at the end of this, I want to make sure that you um, talk about where people can find out more about that, because I think it's mm-hmm. a much needed, a much needed thing. Um, so let's talk about, all right, the f- whole thing with Liz happens, um, but that that wasn't the end for you. You were still spiraling then. So what, how, take me from there to- A stubborn man. <laughs> From there, right to the act, to however this injury occurred. So I don't know even actually exactly how that right. happened. So get me there next.
1: More drugs, more alcohol, more drugs, more alcohol, more drugs, more alcohol. Um, I'm so thankful to be on this podcast with you right now. I'm so thankful every day I wake up that God's giving me a second chance because so many of my colleagues didn't make it. I I was in a hotel, living out of a hotel. Put all my my so-called stuff in storage, and was living out of a, out of a hotel room for a year and a half. And I'd literally, uh, I was up on when uh, Elizabeth passed. I was up on seventeen felony counts for all the drugs and things they found in the house, Ooh. and I was on a five-year probation. I kept on viola- violating probation. They put me in out of jail, in out of jail. My life completely spiraled out of control. Lost my driver's license. Uh, uh, just I mean, my life was a complete train wreck uh, and and getting into 05. um, And um, I, uh, it's a miracle. I used to, actually, I was serving my probation out. They wanted to make sure I didn't just get somebody to write it off for me. Uh, So a judge made me go down to the uh, the, uh, dog pound and clean dog and cat cages all day long. And for my community service, I had like 500 hours of community service. I used to go down there for 12 hours a day, uh, clean out cat and dog cages, and then i go, I go back to hotel and just pop pills and drink. And I mm-hmm. can't tell you how deep I'd go in. And it's such a miracle of God uh, that I wasn't another victim of in my, yeah. in my profession, or whether, whether it's my profession or sh- entertainment business. Sure. Uh, I, it's a miracle of God that I did no overdose probably so many times. And yeah. I had one particular occasion without we don't have time for it on this, where I think I actually did overdose and I was pulled out of it by a light that came on. I was at the bottom of a dark pond. And I was, I was, I was ready to give up and give in. I think I was at the point of an overdose. And I feel that that I w I wasn't spiritual at all, then I was agnostic atheist. And there was a light at the on this I thought it was a dream on the bottom mm-hmm. of this dark pond I was in drowning which was my biggest fear right of how to die not breathing was drowning i was in the bottom of a pond and there was this little tiny white light not shining in at the bottom of the pond but i knew i couldn't get to the top for air but there was this little bright white pinhole of light outside of all the darkness If you think of that mm-hmm. picture that i felt like the lord was showing me don't don't give in sit up i felt like i was supposed to sit up towards that little white dot of light i sat up and came out of it my heart was pounding i think i was actually physically going through an overdose and i feel like i feel like god pulled me out of that yeah divine intervention there i didn't understand it because i didn't i had no relationship with god at that point i was basically an atheist agnostic and Mm -hmm. um at that point now fast forward I ended up back in and out of jail, violating my probation. I was gonna go back to wrestling and train and make everything all right again by making a bunch more money and having the big comeback. I went to Canada for my big debut, got all, got all back in shape, and I didn't realize I needed a judge's signature. Ended up uh, getting uh, dep- uh, deported from Canada. So I was there illegally without a judge, judge's permission. Actually, started back to Atlanta, spent four more months in jail.
0: Oh God, Lex. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I did not know you spent chaplain, that much time met a jail. jail chaplain in jail. Ah. He ended up searching me out when I got out of jail. We ended up, I, he wanted me to train him, which I, I said, I'm not a personal trainer, but I didn't realize he was trying to develop a relationship with me. God mm-hmm. placed him in my life. And that led to me a number of months later developing and and, and a relationship with God and being saved on April 23rd of 06. It was just totally a supernatural experience of how it happened. Wow! So God that led had to had thankfully his... then, <laughs> I, to bring you up to speed. I I got radically saved, like like Apostle Paul and Roger Damascus when he was blinded and and got saved, and then fell off his horse. And a year and, a, and a, a people loved me and poured into me and and discipled me and taught me how to pray and read the Bible and apply it to my, its principles in my life and. Uh, a year later, I, I got. I woke up in the hotel room, paralyzed from the neck down. Thank God, Sting, my very good friend Sting, who's also a believer, and my brother in Christ said that he he believes that if I had that spinal cord injury prior to having the my relationship I now have with the Lord, he goes, mm. he goes you would he goes you would have offed yourself you would he said I, I, I you might be right. a way to commit suicide or something. You might be right. Yeah, because like you, go, going back, I was so tied into the physical right. of who that was. Yeah, that I, I, I probably wouldn't want to go on that way. No, you, you, you wouldn't, have wouldn't have had, had that
0: Yeah, you wouldn't have had that resource of 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 God to that foundation. That foundation and that place to go. That that that's the lifeline, right? That's where you go right. when when you know things are shaking and the house is crumbling. Um
1: so interesting. Under, there's a saying, on Christ a solid rock I stand, uh, all else is shifting sand. I now had that rock, Christ meaning the rock, as my foundation. So even though I had a catastrophic spinal cord injury and was in a, a power chair for two first for two years, I and ended up becoming, by the grace of God, a functional pelvic preacher where I can stand and, and live on my own. I was supposed to need 24-hour care, being fed, fed, bathed. Taken care of, round the clock, the rest of my life, and I can now live totally independent. I can stand and walk some, and and yeah. drive a, a regular car. and uh, I'm so thankful, Lori, for uh, the really the the, uh, the amount of healing God's done in my body. Which uh, I'm like a, in a one percent category. Shepherd Center, a world class spinal cord injury uh, rehab center. I'm one of their miracles. I'm I'm one of their one percenters. I had a, a spinal cord as high cervical spinal cord like mine have as much as much neurological function as as i have so mm-hmm. um,
0: so amazing. it is amazing so there wasn't like a a particular incident in real time that caused caused this injury this was something that was probably brewing from all of your years in being a, an athlete especially wrestling because you you know people don't realize i think that um how much um, of abuse the body takes when you're you know, a wrestler well, yeah, that's
1: what i thought but the top neurologists on the planet are at shepherd center in atlanta and they said well no we we didn't see we saw some damage in there but to go nothing that would have uh, led to this he goes you, we put you in a category of transverse myelitis goes, a lot of people get that it's not common but he goes a lot of people have never did sports uh, really? su- uh sustained the same type of injury that you have he goes it might have had something to do with your football and wrestling career. may not have i'm like wow hmm. so i thought i thought like everybody yeah. goes, for sure it must have been my all the football right. and all the They go, we didn't see anything that was indicative indicative you had what we expected to see for somebody was a football player wrestler, but nothing that would have caused that type of type so of So you just
0: woke up. You just woke up one day with in
1: that state. And uh, yeah, of course, in a hotel room on the West Coast. I was in Atlanta in San Francisco in a hotel room with the door bolted shut. You had to knock the door down. I always did everything with pizzazz, Laurie. So what a scene. <laughs> DDP was there, he was in the room. I was I oh. thought I was dehydrated. I felt like a suction cup, a giant horseshoe. And I was like in a metal suit, pulled me to the bed. I couldn't move anything but my head and shoulders. And um, I thought I was maybe dehydrated. I'd never been paralyzed before. So I, was, right. I didn't know what paralysis felt like. So yeah, it was, it, was, it was scary. But even in that hotel room, Lori, I'll tell you, the good Lord, I was laying there and I tried to get to a phone with my head and hit it with my big German schnoz to try to get help. <laughs> and I fell off, I rolled off the bed.
0: It oh my before, God!
1: My, now my neck was against the nightstand like this, and my it, when you have a spinal cord injury cervical, your breathing is is restricted. Now I now I was going to now I'm going to suffocate. I panicked, which made it worse. And sure. all of a sudden, into the room, I felt the literally the presence of God, and a verse in the Bible. I didn't have didn't think I had any verses memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not upon your understanding knowledge in all his ways and he'll direct your path
0: okay we're going to take a pause here that's all the time we have today so make sure that you come back next week for part two with lex luger and uh give this uh give this a real deep some deep thought you guys because because there's a lot of good stuff here that i think is going to have such a big impact on your life so we're going to wrap it up stay feisty my friends come back next week And uh, go make some epic shift happen in your lives. You too, Gary Vee.